Hello and welcome to Tales from the Hook Season 2. I'm your host, Katie Kelleher, otherwise known as Katie Cranes. I'm guessing you've listened the whole way through Season 1 and you are back for some more. If you are, that's great. If you're not, you can expect many more stories in construction, many more people who work in the industry, their stories, what they do, how they got into it and what they're up to now. So hopefully it will be an exciting ride. So hold on, strap in and enjoy it. This podcast has been very kindly sponsored by our friends over at Libra. If you want to find out more about Libra's products or brilliant innovations, please click the link at the bottom. So today on Tales from the Hook, we have the powerhouse that is Sarah Crawley. With roots strongly embedded in construction industry, Sarah has worked for some of the big boys as a project manager, but in recent years become a co-founder of a startup in the construction tech space. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for coming on, firstly. Cheers for having me. Before we even start, I wanted to say congratulations on being shortlisted for Construction News and New Civil Engineer Inspiring Women in Construction and Engineering Awards. I know you've been nominated for loads of other awards, but I, I did notice that was your most recent one, so I thought it was well worth a congratulations. Thank you. No problem. Well, I hope you win it. Well, I'm on some, some, some stiff competition, so uh, we'll, we'll kind of see. But it's... I'm glad they're doing something kind of about it and there's some yeah there's some awesome individuals there and i think um there's kind of a real range um and i think yeah it's interesting that they've put for the first time they've put like a tech side of it into it as well um so yeah i'm, I'm really looking forward to it and it should be good and yeah i think you're i think you're really uh, i think we'll, we'll we'll go into it later but i think on the tech side of it you are really leading the way in what it means to have tech in construction and kicking ass there but why don't we start with because i know you've got had quite a an interesting construction career i mean you you went to university and, and you studied engineering which i did do my homework a little bit um, so if you tell us a little bit about how you started in construction well i guess probably a good question to start with is why construction and how you started off in construction I think it's kind of like it was by accident. I think it wasn't preordained. Um, I once worked with somebody and they pointed out that my dad was an architect and my mum was a nurse. So me working in healthcare refurbishments was like an interesting uh, topic to probably pick up with a, you know, <clears throat> with a therapist or to psychoanalyze. But I had kind of, um, I, I was not cognizant kind of of that. Um, I fell into it by accident accident and my first project was a level one and two like um fam- family planning clinic and I just loved I just yeah yeah it's that thing so I like you know I was like it's not kind of niche and uh it was quite niche and um I loved it it was absolutely brilliant like with all the different multiple stakeholders and just coordinating and managing this different thing that was in Bedford and I loved it. I thought it was really good fun. All these different kind of moving component parts. I liked the interaction with lots of different kind of stakeholders. It was like no day was kind of the same. And then I then really kind of fell into kind of healthcare, um, kind of very much kind of refurbishments ranging from like, um, I did wellbeing clinics for the Priory for a long time um, and re, like kind of refurbing a lot of kind of acute um, wards or PICUs. And then I ended up working for MACE um, in the healthcare team 
and the projects really varied from like theatres to refurbing um, ICU wards. Um, and yeah, that's kind of very much kind of like why I kind of got into it. And then why I stayed was it always felt tangible. Like I, I love that it right. wasn't just answering emails. I mean, a lot of the job is too much of it is still answering emails. But it was like you could see what you were doing and it it would drive like real life things for me. So and it had really tangible kind of outcomes, which I always liked. Um, and then I think for me, the other part is like the people. Yeah, there is. Almost like a straight talking that you just don't get in other industries. And I like that sometimes like conflict isn't avoided, like it, sometimes it's good to have it. And you could have it at, let's say, like, one thirty in the afternoon about something. And you're like, why the fuck is that over there? Like, you know, you know, or, or whatever. you can have quite difficult and quite heated yeah. conversations. But then at, like, 5.30, you can go have a drink together. And it's like, it's all, you know, it's all, like, smooth sailing again. Um, and don't get me wrong. There's always, like, the project stakeholders, always, like, one or two that are really difficult characters. But in the main, I always liked that, like, people coming together, trying to do these things, get in and out, um this chaotic kind of orchestra all kind of coming together and it's just the no-nonsense attitude of it and I feel like rather than ever being like stabbed in the back they would come at you like from the front and I just as someone that likes like quite I don't I don't like passive aggression so it was really refreshing to be in an industry where they were like right I'm not happy and I'm like okay I know exactly where we stand on this yeah, I know my starting point. I don't have to guess it. <laughs> yeah, so it's like there's no, I'm not staying up at, like, you know, I'm not staying up, not being able to sleep, being like, what's wrong? I'm not sure. It's just like, no, 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 here's, here's a list. Yeah, th this is what's wrong. This is what you've messed up. I'm not going to sit there giving you dirty looks from the corner of the room. I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. tell you so we can and fix it. Like, yeah, and I just, I love it in the sense of, like, you know, I never once, like, a project director saying to me, he's like, Sarah, it either is or it isn't done. Which one is it? Because I'm, I'm not interested in the grey or the excuses. Like, just fucking get it done. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I love that. And I, do you know, I never, had, I haven't had anyone else to say, say about the directness, but you're absolutely spot on. Yeah, um, yeah you don't, you're never left wondering how somebody feels about you so, and you're never and left I, wondering thinking about it all night yeah so i think that and i do think there's something very affirming about that um, and also i think it drives you to kind of be better and that you can work all this way and i think there's don't get me wrong i don't think this you shouldn't be an arsehole for the sake of being an arsehole people like that that just want to do it but overall like i do think sometimes it's like better out than in and that should be done in a way that's like you know not crazy abrasive um or put anyone you know make them feel super uncomfortable but sometimes it's not it's not bad to have like a to agree to disagree yeah and i i, I suppose it's one of them things and if everyone knows how they're doing it it does give you that peace of mind instead of kind of wondering i wonder if they're happy with me or i wonder how i'm getting on or if anyone likes what i'm doing and then you get your p45 put in front of you and just asked to leave and you're not even sure why no you're absolutely right and i think what you said at the start about falling into construction and there's so many of us that do, that do that we fall into it in all different places in our career like you know multiple jobs later but you went straight in there from university didn't you so what when you were at uni did you have a plan when i was at university i thought i was gonna 
not really no I thought I was going to walk into a job and my starting salary was going to be 45k which I look back on now and I'm like oh you naive individual um and you can get that if you do certain like certain degrees but that was not from kind of from mine um and actually I had I thought I was gonna I had very like I would consider what the Irish call like notions about myself <clears throat> and what I mean by that is I thought I was destined for greatness and of saving and helping the world. So I, and I truly believe this. And um, and I applied for a graduate scheme, for, for a grad scheme called Charity Works. And that was like quite broader. It's more like a management graduate scheme, but within the charity sector. And it was there, and I ended up getting placed with Terence Higgins Trust, which to this day is still one of the like the best working environments I've ever had. And they had like this real attitude where like in any like kind of grad scheme where you could try different things. And they put when I got like the project and I was just in my element. And then when they when I moved on to other things, I was like, that's that's where it was. And then I used that as a base to kind of be like a project coordinator and then move on into like kind of the other areas. And I think the other aspect of what I loved about it is and I think this applies to kind of like the tech side as well. And I think it's and it they overlap really nicely on a Venn diagram. And what I mean by that is like in construction, you can never know it all. And you're not like, you're there's all these different specialist subcontractors that you get to meet and you're not expected to have their knowledge. You can have like a base, but they're often like more, most of my experience in, in working in construction, they've always been willing to like, re I'm really passionate about sharing it. So you learn so much. And sometimes I was like, oh shit, I'm a GP and a master in none. But actually having this like umbrella kind of view and then all these different aspects for me kept the job like really interesting and people like sharing their knowledge and what they had learned. And I just, yeah, I loved it. Um, and then just, and just stayed in that, um, in that area kind of within healthcare to me also felt like very tangible. It wasn't like, um, it, well, we, we had like a real benefit to people's lives. So it yeah. felt really necessary. So I think it, it kind of helped me organize and like the cause felt good like a feel-good factor yeah and, and making people's lives better well i didn't always do that i'll be honest like i'm sure i might speak to some of my ex some of my subbies and stuff like that they tell you something very very otherwise but i didn't so i'm not going to maintain that so i'd be a lie totally but yeah overall the 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 good intent was may not always come across but it was there so yeah i mean you've had you worked you worked hard and you worked your way up and I mean, your last kind of role on on site was working with one of the big boys as a project manager. So you were, you must have, I'm going to say you were earning a fair few bob there. And you kind of turned around and you went, nope, stuff this. I'm going to start up a startup in construction tech and leave everything I did behind. Like, I sometimes I wonder why. Like, yeah, like, why did I do that? Like, you know, I was like, you know, my career trajectory at Maze, by all intents and purposes, seemed excellent. So to to, to effectively blow it up was, uh, uh, I, I still have my doubts sometimes, and they were an excellent kind of employer. I think I really liked Maze. I thought, I think they are, they were a great employer. They were like really fair, which I liked, and the parameters of success were very clear. Um, and I think most people, I think nearly everybody I worked with there, like I would have a drink with, like I, I still to this day speak to kind of a nice. lot of them. And I don't think you can say that about many organizations, but I reached the end of this project that I was on and this project had, 
it, it hadn't gone particularly well let's say and what i mean by that is just a, but the right. by the ten, you might measure a project by let's say just like cost risk and time you know it hadn't <clears throat> from a cost and time perspective it hadn't gone kind of great for the team that i was in like we did deliver it um that team to this day still all communicates with each other um and when it when we were going through it it kind of crystallized this idea to me that i've always been interested in tech the tech i've been coding since like kind of a very young age it's never been alien to me and then when i was on this the last project which just we were dealing with absent incomplete incorrect or outdated information and it was causing real like real tangible it's causing a shit show it's going to be blank call it what it was it's causing a shit show yeah. and i was like there is i think there is kind of a better way of possibly doing something so my project came to an end and i was like i'm going to take a gamble on it now i left mace on good terms thinking that i may need to ask for my job back so left on kind of like very good terms to take to take you know what was all by all intents and purpose felt like jumping off a cliff it's a big step it's a big big step that's why i'm like why what drove you to do that i think a level of naivety i think probably now like like a level of naivety (laughs) i love your honesty (laughs) (laughs) watch me go um i think level like naivety. was it that same what that same one that got you through university yeah i was like yeah the um which another one purpose although you know there's ego in there as well around like yeah you know yeah so um call it what it is i i got fed up of complaining about the shit tech that we had and like you know we were using ultimately like kind of like in the end it's mostly like email um and microsoft excel to kind of manage our projects and i was like there's a huge there's a huge opportunity for someone to kind of actually build a tool that reflects how site teams work and dare i say it with the supply chain so i was like there's really there's a massive open goal here and i thought i could either keep complaining about it or do something about it and i thought you know what's the worst that could happen i just i have to go back with the tail my tail between my legs and go it hasn't worked out please may have my job back yeah but you i mean I mean that was that was a massive move. And did you when you left your existing job to to start the startup? Obviously, your co-founder with your husband. Yeah, uh, which is fantastic. So, I mean, this idea that you had, where where did that come from? Because I mean, it's it's a huge idea, and it's it's industry. In my opinion, it's industry changing. I think in your opinion and John's opinion, it's industry changing. So, I mean, how did that? I mean, because we all have ideas of things that we think might work and might not work. and But to sit down and put it into place and start a whole new company, for me, it just seems... Because as someone who's never done that, it just seems massive. Yeah, I think it's kind of... Again, it all kind of comes down to risk. And so John's background to mine is very different. And he he would advocate... Well, he's, he's a chartered engineer which he likes to remind me of but his background is like very much like mega it's like large infrastructure projects or mega projects but we 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 used to complain about like kind of the same issues so i think there was kind of something there but i think you know in all intents and, and i've been really honest about this we didn't jump ship at the same time like i jumped ship to be like what have i got here and it wasn't until i got into kind of there were, and there was a lot of soul searching i can give you the a side story if you want and then like the real like b yeah. side in the sense of let's, like let's do that let's do the a and the b 
Okay, so with with the A side, um, as I mentioned, like tech wasn't abstract to me. I was like, there's a huge opportunity. Like, you know, there's millions, billions to be made here. Like, and I think I can do it. And so I thought I would do it. And within that, I built like an MVP, which is like in tech, they call it the minimum viable product. So it's like the base product of like, what can you do to like prove your concept? I then raised money from some venture capitalists, and we can talk about that if you want to. Um, it was a interesting kind of process. And then now it's kind of like as of today, there's an update every 10 seconds in the core hours and it's been used by 177 different contractors and kind of client organizations. So, you know, in that aspect and say it quickly enough, it's like, oh my God, you're living the dream, you know? And then, you know, <laughs> that, and then the B side of it is there was a lot of false starts. It like, it didn't just magically kind of happen over a weekend. Um, John, you know, Google, when I got into Google startups, they were like, right, I had no idea what I was doing. I never built a product. And like, I spent like two days where my code wasn't working and I was coming close to punching the screen. And it just turned out like it was like a, it was a missing semicolon. And I was just like, I'm not cut out for this like level of like problem solving of like, it's just too, like the odyssey of that I went on to like, and it was just a semicolon two days. I was like, this is not worth it. So Google kind of like provided this like wrap round support of me and they were brilliant in the sense of like um, this catalyst of like, this is how you can do it. But as I said, there were like a kind of a lot of false starts. It has felt like I have plunged the depths of my character uh, in order to kind of like be here. There are many times where I've sat in the bathroom and cried. Um, and I do think there's an element of luck that people don't talk about, particularly when you are raising money. And I think the key thing is, also the naivety in me that has now seems like a kind of a constant thread is that you think that you're going to build a product and in construction you build it and it's not your problem what happens thereafter once you've handed your RM, you're out so i thought it'd be the same thing with a tech product like you build you build the product that's the hardest part and you're like yes done they are going to come like you know they're like i thought like that yeah. i launched the app store and the next day i was like this is just going to be inbound like growth and <laughs> you thought you were kevin costner in field of dreams something like that yeah but the um <laughs> I, like, I thought yeah I, it, it's not the case at all that's you know it's total bollocks and even when you get the first client that's actually that's a really enjoyable moment but scaling that to like out of that one client is so much harder and people are continuously like jazz hands or romanticize it or it's often like very murky around how that's been achieved and i don't think there's like one one rule fits all but it's not like a it's not like some linear success journey yeah and, and I mean, it, to me, it just sounds really, really hard, bloody work. And and I, I believe it was. I believe it, it you know, to, speaking to the two of you, I believe that this has been a journey, a real journey. Because I personally, I wouldn't know where to start. I'd be thinking, okay, I need money. I've got this product. How do I get money? I mean, how do you how do you jump from knowing you need money to asking people for money? Well, that, that, this is a thing where I think... Uh... <laughs> With investment, I didn't know that it was a thing called like pre-seed investment. And pre-seed investment is like, I have an idea and I have some slides and you go out to investors and you say, I've got, this is what I want to do. I want to build out my idea. Give me some money to do that. I didn't even know that was a, I didn't even know that existed uh, uh, at all. 
And when you talk to investors, they always speak to you like you know, like you've grown up with their language or you've been you work with them. And it's like, no, right. so you can't expect me to know a lot of your accountancy and your finance terms that in construction and a kind of basic P&L and a cost plan. These new terms are totally alien to you. And they act and it's like, no, duh, obviously you should know that you need to hit these metrics oh. to get to series A. And you're like, but why would I know that? Like, so, yeah. Yeah, that just, uh, and I mean, who do you approach? It's, it, how do you know who to approach? I might be, these might be really stupid questions for people. This is stuff that I genuinely do not know. And I'd imagine most people don't. No, I, I, I didn't know. Um, I still don't know. I, I've got an idea. But the uh, the it, it comes down ultimately to like kind of to networking. But I think the, the bit, the hardest bit is, and it often gets said like, well, it's who you know. It's like, well, what happens when you're starting bases? Yeah. I know nobody in this space. So you kind of have to start kind of going to events. And this is where I again talk about this idea of luck. And actually when i went to an event just before like covid really kind of went in we went into the first lockdown and it was an event that google had put on for female founders and i sat next to a woman and we had a really really good chat and then i think just after 12 months later she contacted me saying i'm now working at this vc firm i remember you i've got your business card still we invest in this space please may we have a chat and i was like and that's what kicked off like that's what kicked off kind of the funding round and there was another um woman called Clementine who was also a VC and she really helped like describe like some of the terms and like sitting down with me and looking at the deck and she's like people don't care about these slides Sarah let's like they don't care about your product as much as you do we need to restack them and I think between the two of them they were what made the difference especially initially in the sense of like helping helping me get there and a that like the hardest part is trying to land one investor once you've got one doors then start to open and it, and it's bizarre the more they call it so you, if you're raising let's say one million pounds that's the ticket size once you've got the first investor on it's much easier then to fill the rest of that ticket and as you come to the bit of like say like when you're like 60 75 percent it's almost like people get FOMO and you start getting contacted like you start getting that email without <laughs> yeah. really contacting you being like can I get in on this and the best like I mean I thought it was amazing when you when you when you manage to do it I genuinely felt like the prettiest girl in the room. And it was like, it's, it's, and it's so hard to do. But that first bit, I think you need to know people and, or you, you do need some element of luck or like around people kind of helping you out. Um, And I think one of my things that I find difficult sometimes to swallow is when investors tell you at that early stage, well, you should just raise like a family and friends round. I hear this a lot. And I find it quite triggering. And what they mean is, is that you should get your friends and family to invest into your business. Now, for me, I'm like, that's a very privileged position to assume that 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 is something that I like that people can kind of do is one. The second thing is, as well, as I think, you know, this is hard. And I think you need your family and friends to like draw from like these wells of strength. If you take their money you know yeah imagine and and it's not and you imagine you know it's you put yourself in kind of I think could do it in quite a difficult position um and then I think there's a whole conversation around like in the first bit around that's why we don't see that many women I don't think we see that many diverse founders you know because it's like well you know your starting capital raise should be from your family and your friends and I'm like well that doesn't 
work for, I would say, the majority of people. I might, I might get a fiver off of each of them, but... <laughs> do, well, there's fibers that do add up, but like, you need quite a lot of them. <laughs> I can imagine. So you've got... So in starting up a new business in tech, I mean, you've got a number of hurdles. So first, you've got to develop the product, which sounds like an absolute nightmare in itself. Two, you've got to look for investors having never done that before, which sounds like a hurdle again. And then three, you've got to find people who want to buy this product and use it. I mean, I, I've simplified that a lot into three spaces. Oh, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot more to... Spinning those three plates at the same time and you're like, you can't drop them. And you've given up your job, so you've now got not got that source of income. Yeah. So we initially, initially like we bootstrapped it. So we use, so we use some, so I, and again, it's coming from from a background of construction, obviously, and everything being about risk. It was calculated risk in the sense of like, so initially, like I made sure that we had enough savings, you know, we need to be able to pay our mortgage and our bills um, and live. And so we, we had used that to make sure that we had that kind of like that buffer and then we bootstrapped it. And then when the first client started coming in, we obviously ran it like a social enterprise and then reinvested that revenue to kind of grow. And then it reached a point was like, hey, this is working and we can make a decision that you're like a crossroad. And do I rate, do I raise VC money? Do I not raise VC money? And I, you know, I made the choice um, to, to raise VC money. That's amazing. I mean, that's, that's, and I mean, I know like, where you guys are now and obviously you've got members of staff so it's not just the two of you you've got a working office you've got everything in place I mean in that when I look at your journey timeline I mean that's a relatively short space of time was it just over two years yeah um yeah I think for me us like like raising money takes much longer uh than than it may kind of initially kind of appear that does take a lot of time and it does distract from um team from clients uh, then from like as you say like kind of like them future sales um so that that took like you know that took oh what did i do it's probably like seven seven months from on our first round and a large part of that that i was to blame for it in the sense of i didn't know what i was doing i had many of a wrong conversation i made so many mistakes um and that probably did not help kind of in the timeline but it's not Again, it, you know, it's not like having one presentation and someone saying, here's a million pounds. Like it didn't, well, maybe it works for some, but it did not work for me like that. Um, <laughs> and within that kind of like a lot of soul searching. But I think it's just one route to raising money. Yeah. And I was in, I was in a weather spoons a few, a few weeks ago. And I like was, I was with someone who I have a lot of time for and he was like I think you're sometimes Sarah like sometimes you're overcomplicating the model like if you spend 100 pounds and your income's 160 you're tacking on the right side of the wind like you no know, sometimes like why have you made this more you know and you're looking at other businesses and they've like they spent 35 million to make 400k and you're like does this business model add up but it's, it's really interesting and investors think with a totally different mindset and I think that's a you know I didn't even know construction technology was a thing when I was at Mace. I thought it was just like, you know, Primavera, P6 or Aster or A site would be like the you know like the Titans. And I didn't even know there was like a yeah. startup scene of many people trying to bring construction forward. Um, 
but they they think about it in in very different terms to like how you think about the industry about money around what success looks like um so it's like a re-education in that side it's i mean for me it's fascinating like as a as a real outsider to any of this kind of looking at you guys and i guess then then you've got your products you've got your investment and then you've got to reach out to people and try and turn all salesperson eh? and tell everyone how bloody brilliant it is and try and get and i know this hasn't always been the easiest for you because you and me know that construction is hard work and it doesn't take on new tech very well it it tends to like what it's doing it sticks to it even if it's not the best way of doing something they can be a bit hard-headed so i can imagine that was a real hurdle yeah and and, and it's still you know it still is i think it's changing but i don't think it's going to be a change it's not happening at the rate that i see a lot of like consultancy papers talking about it like it is it is but it's it's not um you know that it's, it's still taking time there's still some education and awareness i think as the younger generations start to come through where you have incredible technology on your like phone that you use every day it's going to start to be less accepted that hang on a minute why don't i have this in my why don't this at work why are we still doing it this way in this kind of quite outdated old-fashioned kind of way like we've got you know this we can do this better i was gonna say to you do you think the new entrance into the system will change that and and you you answered it perfectly and i i, I agree with you i think because they just view things very differently i mean even you know even if i think back to crane operating days and i'd kind of sit there and i'd think God, i'm sat here for half a day like doing nothing and then you're like throwing a load of stuff at me at like 4 p.m. Like we are really not working efficiently. There is something missing, something not firing and something that's not working right. And But people are just happy to go along with that and just put extra hours in it and pay people more money. It's just it's yeah, crazy. Like sometimes there's like a prevailing attitude as well of like I survived it before, so why change? And... That that is, I would say, is almost endemic, um, in you know. But I was at a CIOB event last week, and it was largely like full of like kind of like young designers, um, engineers, and site teams, and it was really refreshing because I think the average age was like twenty six, so much kind of still younger than I kind of I was. But it was really like interesting hearing their views and and around like what they're going to do to try and bring it forward and. You know, I just thought from an infrastructure perspective as well, I thought like some of the observations and they just seem less tolerant of it. And there is a real drive to change. Um, but I think in what you're saying, we need to get the basics right. And we haven't as an industry, yeah. but we somehow seem to have gone from like not the basics and like what is I could um, I do find frustrating is when you see things like, um, oh, generative AI is going to solve all of construction's problems or what I call like shiny jazz hands tech basically and I'm like that's lovely does it actually fix any of the current issues you kind of got and the answer is like no and there's a there's a lot of there's a, sometimes it's like they like they're distracted by the really shiny stuff but they're missing out on solving like the fundamental basics and I'm like you know like reflecting how the supply chain communicates this fragmented chaotic supply chain basically and yeah yeah the the aspect around is like the tools that just don't kind of serve them they don't reflect that um 
I don't know that there's, there's there's so much opportunity in the market. Yet we see we sometimes sometimes seem to hope that like all oh, this shiny things, well, we get distracted by this shiny thing, and it's like no, we need to reflect. You know how construction has worked, how that supply chain communicates, um, and fixing some of those core problems. But Simterra is set to ch- change the industry like that. It might be worth explaining what your product actually does, Sarah, and what how it eliminates some of these issues. So it's a communication tool that allows teams, including the supply chain, to document and report works easily. So ultimately, it's to provide engineering assurance and commercial defensibility. And to site teams, it's very much to kind of replace for them like WhatsApp and paper, you know, just to make their lives easier that then feeds back up. And one of the things that, you know, myself and the business are super passionate about, there's huge opportunity in this market and there's so much space that lots of different suppliers to be in it to kind of win but data needs to be interoperable we need to start like making it accessible to different parts if you think the way that a project moves along but we keep locking everybody into like a proprietary system and it's like that's again it's not how it works so we really believe in that as kind of as a standard and that's something the industry needs to adopt to kind of like push it forward but yeah it's a communication tool built for site teams and I, I remember when um, John was showing me this at one of the shows. Uh, I, I think I was just walking past and he was really proud of it. And he was showing me it and he was like, imagine you're on site and you can just take a photo of what's wrong, send it over, it gets flagged up immediately. And I was like, oh, wow, why aren't we doing this? Like, why aren't people doing this? Why have we got to go look at something, write it down on a piece of paper, probably screw it up, put it in our pocket, put it in a file somewhere. It disappears for the next however many months before it resurfaces. Or if, God forbid, something goes wrong and then we're desperately looking for it. And I was just like, this really makes sense. It was just mm. why I can never understand why it's so hard for people to take it on board that... This all to me, this all makes sense. It all seems like a solution. And you definitely get like I mean, we we've gone from like five hundred and seventy seven really quickly. So there are those that just really get it and it lands, and it just like it it it's it's incredible. But there are some people like the other day I was having a conversation about like what an asset is and they were an asset manager and I was getting very confused by this conversation I was like but why are we having a philosophical conversation about what's an asset like in the you know they're like how do the assets get into the system and I was like you it's like you take them from your Salibri model and you put like they like it connects in and they were like no I think I, I don't see how that happens and you're like I don't it, it's, it's really weird and you're like I don't know why I would use a system and you're like I'm not sure you know when you're like oh, we're having two totally different conversations and I, yeah. I you run out of like ways of like, I don't think I can explain this in a way that you're ever gonna get it so you still get that i think there is still like a a, you know occasionally you get the characters it's like i know better i've survived it before um but i think like the 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 mid tier like the tier twos and tier threes i think they're hungry for it i they are changing they're much more open-minded and i think they've got that i'm really intrigued to see how it plays out over the next 10 years and if we start to see a reshuffle of the tier ones because I think you see yes. that mid-tier market, they're more agile, they're slightly more like open-minded. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what does the, how does that play out going forward. Do you, do you think it's because the, the kind of the mid-tiers want to make things better and they want to make things more efficient, whereas, a, you know, our, our tier ones think they've already got it now. So they don't think they need to be more efficient. They don't think they need to change anything. I think, I think the tier ones do at least 
I, I think they do know that they need to change. I think they have a problem where like a lot of the legacy systems are so deeply embedded. Pulling that out is going right. to be unbelievably difficult, and no one likes change. Let's be honest. Like it's psychologically, like you know, there's, there's, to do that change management piece would be huge. Um, so I think that's one thing that probably holds them back. I would say a second thing with larger like contractor and client organizations is it can be death by multiple stakeholder sign off so it's like you know when you're ordering a piece of equipment for site or you want to book some labor yeah you know exactly how to do and it's very streamlined with tech i would say one of my observations is that like it's like every man and his dog can have an opinion or a, or you know or a, you know on the sign off of it which which does often kind of slow it down where the you know the the mid tiers are often a bit more leaner in that sign off process it's like see it saw it liked it bought it Yes, yeah, it might only go through two hands rather than 50 different people that need yeah. explaining. So, no, I get that. So you have, how many clients have you got now? You did tell me 177. I mean, that's massive. I mean, that's really impressive. And you have how many members of staff now? I think we're at 14. Like, like 14. I mean, I mean in, in like just over two years. I mean, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm, I'm sold. I think everyone should buy it. But... um what would you say for people listening to you? I mean, I don't think anyone's going to listen to you and think that, you know, starting up in construction tech's the easiest thing in the world to do. But what what bit of advice could you give to people who think they have a really good idea and they're thinking of taking it out there as a startup? Go for it, but do it in a do it in a calculated way. So if you can moonlight to do that and test it by as many people as you can like and your like mum and your family are the worst people to do that with because they're like they're super biased they will tell you that they love it like you need to put it in front of like that's one of the things when like, on the early days when I got feedback they were some of the feedback was like no I never was like what the fuck is this and it's like great like you know and it's like well, what do you mean by that and testing it because then with them in tech, we you, the, to build and to iterate is almost like they're so deeply embedded. So like, do it, get feedback, hear that feedback, go again, and and keep doing that until you get to a something where you're like, okay, and then you you put it in front of people and they're like, okay, I'm kind of getting this in the sense of like, is there some kind of usage or the, you know, and then you then have an opportunity to be like, what do I, what do I want? to do with this and there are so many routes to then make that successful and i see so many businesses that have not raised any venture money and they are doing phenomenally well so venture capital is not your only route to market in on this um and it's gonna be interesting to see kind of what happens with the economic landscape we're in and what happens to kind of like vc funding kind of going forward and if we are going to see other kind of business like more more people that kind of like grow it perhaps more organically um, and profitability quicker than perhaps like the VC way, which is traditionally being growth at all costs. So I think give it a go, do it in a calculated way and get lots of feedback from people. And then at that point, you will have some idea to be like, well, where do I then want to go from this? And surround yourself by great people. And you will you will, you will make mistakes in, 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 in hiring, but like the team that we have, like they're, that are just totally kick ass and they're one of the best bits about this whole thing and i know that like they're super passionate they're bought in and they are like your bedrock as a business and i think so like and get as you get those early hires right like it's magic can happen 
I mean, I can speak for that. I've having been to your Christmas party, I can speak to how fantastic everyone that works for you is. They're just amazing people, they're just, and they're just all so nice. And yeah. I think they're all so supportive of you guys that it's just, it's just a really nice place to be. Yeah. Um, one more question. Well, I've got two more questions. I'm gonna throw one more at you. So you spoke about being a, a project manager. So people might have bought into that and thought, I fancy being a project manager because you did sell it very, very well. You sold the dream. Even I fancy it now. Any advice for people looking to get into that? How to get started? What's the best way? I think if there is any kind of, um, it depends on kind of what, I think there's never too, like, there's never too late a time to start. I think if you're young, or even if you're young, I met a bunch of amazing people at Rail Live that actually had, had a career change in their like late 30s uh, and i thought that was like really nice. like like i mean i did it i jumped you know decided to go from quite well process said a promising career in uh construction and then go to the tech side i think with, within project management if you're if you can get onto an apprentice or to a graduate scheme um that i think there's some really kind of great routes in there and they move you around um and that's a whole kind of broad range uh, otherwise i would say going to industry events so like the cib do a monthly kind of social social meetup and it, they vary i think in geographical regions but you meet a lot of like like-minded people that's a really great route and then often you'll signpost people to other people and coming under the radar um so i think that's like really good um and just speak to people and i think there's a lot of the thing around where uh like oh no we're looking for this specific thing like according to the job description and i'm like but are you because i only ever met like 50 percent of that <laughs> and you still let me in and i and i think there's, there's there's an element of like as well like when you go when you go speak to people it's like oh no you seem to know what you're talking about you're not don't come across as that much of an asshole i'll put you like as in like job into the you know you yeah. kind of get that interview yeah. so i'm probably not really kind of helping here but i think i really think more and more that i've been at this in different aspects it's about networking and you know the um i wish someone had told me by the way that the ice do like really good food at a kind of subsidized rate much earlier than what i knew when i wasn't ever kind of working around you know westminster but the they you know the um all the different and I, i'm not you know i'm not a chartered but you know ricks ice cirob and what's the other one missing out i'm a key i'm like yeah the um they all do like a lot of kind of different events and they do a lot of like that event for free i have met some absolutely phenomenal people at those and around that have like gone on to kind of help and they're free and you don't need to be chartered either so i think that's a key thing to kind of some of them you do but a lot you don't so going to those i think has made like quite a material difference um in the short term and sometimes we can all dream about what's going to happen in five to 10 years, but you're like, well, what's going to help me in the next like two to six months. And those events are very good yeah. for those sorts of um, opportunities. Yeah. I also speak really highly of networking, to be honest. I think it's the, it's the way forward. You meet, you greet. Oh, I, I met you and John. So it, it's all good. You know, you meet brilliant people who you never know might be able to help you out with something throughout that time and you, who might know a bit more about something than you do or just that burning question. Or if you're looking to change career, talk to someone who's doing the career and all the usual yeah, jazz. And just, and just, ask, just reach out. The worst you can do is just ask somebody around. Some, I like the amount of American contractors I email at the moment. I'm just like, well, can you just give me like your two pence on it? And they're like, most like eight times out of 10, they're yeah. like, yeah, of course. Um, and I think it's the same kind of when people and I think project management can be done if you're a good communicator 
um I think it, it, I, my belief is that you could it could be done by anybody and isn't that the the old adage that we shouldn't have employed project managers we should have employed like kindergarten teachers and they would have done a better job like it, you know there's the sense of like <laughs> it can be like herding cats but it's um it is rewarding so I think anyone who doesn't you know necessarily think they might have a background on it but is interested don't let that put you off love it my one question now that I always end on what's the one thing we can all do to make the construction industry a little bit better it's a tough one isn't it I know I always throw it in at the end I don't tell anyone I'm gonna do it when you when you are looking at any possible digital solution for any aspect of what it is kind of your work make sure it is to the data is available to open standards and that it's system agnostic i think that is the key thing going forward that we can all do to help bring about huge change inch by inch love it thank you so much for today sarah i've really it's been really interesting and i really appreciate you coming on thank you so much for your time and it's been really it's been really good speaking